have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that you never drift into anything really good? I was reminded this week that, that everything that's of value is at risk to drifting away from. Uh, I mean, how many, think about this, how many of you have drifted into spiritual maturity? You just, you just, you didn't, you weren't intentional, didn't really do anything, you just drifted into spiritual maturity. Or, or how many of you have drifted into financial independence and freedom from debt? I mean, you just, you spent your money, you just kind of did whatever you want. You woke up one day and went, wow, man, I've got a lot of money and I don't know anything. I don't know that's ever happened. Why? Because nothing, listen, everything that has value, the risk is that we drift away from that. Have you ever heard anyone say this? Man, I drifted into shape and I was so healthy. I just had to go get a bowl of ice cream. I just wanted to even it out. No, no, that, listen, that's never happened. Andy Stanley, I was listening to him this week and he was right. He, he said, you don't, you don't ever drift into anything really good. I mean, who's ever said, well, you know, my marriage started drifting a few years ago. And, and man, my wife and I, we just, we just get along so much better. I mean, we're just, we're just closer now than we've ever been. Man, that, that, listen, none of that has ever happened. Now, why is that? Because everything tends to move from order to disorder unless it's acted upon. Uh, in the book, The Remarkable Birth of Planet Earth, Henry Morris said, All processes manifest a tendency toward decay and disintegration with a net increase in what is called entropy or state of randomness or disorder of the system, which is called, that's kind of the, the law of, of thermodynamics. Let me give you an example. Yesterday was the first Saturday of, of the new college football season, and uh, my girls decided if I was going to watch uh, the football game with an S, you know, that S in prostrophe, if I was going to do that, the, man, the mall might be a good place for them to be. And so they headed out, you know, right after lunch or, you know, or so. And, and so by 7 o'clock last night, you'd be amazed. My kitchen was just, I mean, it, it drifted into perfect order. There wasn't a dish on the counter. There wasn't a dish in the sink. There was, I mean, it was, it was per, you, you just, you can't imagine what the kitchen looked like when I finished cooking some real and doing all these things. No, no, you'd know that didn't happen because the tendency is if we just let things go, we don't drift into order. We drift into disorder. I mean, the issue is unchecked. Everything of value is subject to drift. Everything of value is subject to decay. Everything of value is subject to disorder. And, and so to counteract drift, th there's just some things that we've got to be willing to do. And I, let me just give you two, and then we're going to talk about those in just a moment. Uh, number one, I, I think you've got you to have intentionality. If you take stuff out, you've got to be intentional to put it back. I mean, you just got to have intentionality. And number two, uh, you, you need to have accountability. Because if you don't have intentionality, intentionality and accountability, then, then things that are unchecked tend to drift. Now, this service especially will appreciate this. Take, your physical, take our physical fitness, for example. 
If you're not intentional and you're not accountable, something happens to you after about third, about the age of 30, your, your chest tends to drift down towards your waistline. We, we used to call it furniture disease. You know, your chest drifts to your drawers. You know, it's a chest to drawers, right? I mean, that, that is just, that, that, listen, you don't have to do anything. You just show up every day. And it'll just happen. Why? Because order tends to drift to disorder. And, and you got to be intentional. Since I was talking about our girls being, on, being out of the house, well, last, or last summer, a few months ago, when they were away on vacation, I was home, had the TV on, and I saw one of these, one of these infomercials. Had this exercise program for nineteen ninety five plus shipping and handling. And if you do that, if you order that thing in ninety days, you can look like this. I mean it, 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 and now it's been about fifty. So you can tell how good it works. Okay, I'm just saying. Here's the thing you can have a plan, but if you don't have intentionality and you don't have accountability, chances are you're going to drift into somewhere or something you don't want to be. Now, that can happen in our health. That can happen with our relationships. That can happen with our business. That can happen with our, our church. I mean, in every arena in life, because nothing great, Nothing great is going to happen by us simply drifting into it. So we've got to be intentional and we've got to be accountable. So when it comes to anything of value, we've got to learn to avoid the drift. So, So how do we do that? How do you become intentional and accountable when it comes to your spiritual life? If you're not going to drift into spiritual maturity, if you're not going to drift into faithfulness to Jesus... Then, then what can you do? What can I do? What can we do to be intentional and also be accountable? Well, if we, what I want to do is call your attention to the early church because early on they figured this thing out. And what they figured out is that, that if they're going to be gospel-centered and if they're going to be intentional, uh, then they've got to live in community. I want you to listen to uh, Acts 2, uh, and we looked at a, maybe most of this last week, but listen beginning in verse 42. Now remember, the church just opened, just opened. First day, 3,000 saved, baptized. I mean, they were born again. They were saved and born again. They were baptized, added to the church first day. And look what happens, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number Day by day, those who are being saved. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I I, I suspect that that most all of us want to move forward in our spiritual journey. I, I suppose that almost without exception, 
maybe a couple, but almost without exception, we want to grow in our spiritual maturity. God, we want to be more effective. And so, God, what I want to ask you to do this morning is, is out of your words, speak into our life truth that will help us understand what we've got to do to be intentional and what we've got to do in order to be accountable. Because if we're not intentional and, and accountable, then, God, we're subject to drift. I mean, we'll just wake up one day and we'll be somewhere we didn't want to be. And so, God, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts this morning, uh, challenge us as believers to be followers of Jesus, close followers, accountable, intentional followers. And, Father, even though we're speaking to the church this morning, we're speaking to us who are followers, God, I pray that in the context of this, those here this morning that may not yet be believers may realize that when you come to Christ, you come to a family and you come to a place where you can grow and develop and have maturity. So God, come and speak out of your word into our hearts, and we'll be careful, careful, Lord, to give you the honor and the glory for everything that you do. And Father, we pray in the strong and mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, when you look at the passage, I think there's something that, that really should stand out to us. And, and just think about this. It says they were devoted to the fellowship. They were together. They had everything in common. They gave to anyone as they had need. They continued to meet together. They ate together. They enjoyed all the people. I mean, when you, when you listen to the, now that's in six verses. When you listen to that and you think, man, they were together, uh, they ate together, uh, they gave to one another, they ministered together. All of a sudden, the thing that comes out is, is this text reeks with the idea of relationship. I mean, what the text says is that, man, they were together. They had they had what we, uh, the term today, it used to be fellowship, but the term today is, is, is really maybe a better term. It's the, the term is community. They had community. I mean, they were engaged with, with one another. They were engaged in one another's lives. And, and, so the great, and so here's the thing. Here's what I would say to you and me this morning. The greatest way, the greatest way to, to avoid spiritual drift is to be in community with other believers. And I'm not talking about sitting on the road with other believers. Because when you sit on the road, I do all the talking. And you do all the listening or the doodling or whatever it is that happens out there, okay? Text, I mean, we won't even go there. Um, but, but, but if you're going to have community, you've got to get in a circle. You've got to get in a group to where there's interaction and where there's dialogue. And, and the reason, the reason that that's of, the great, of great value to you is, is when you have community with other believers, then you have people that have earned and developed the right to speak into your life. You have people in your circle that are looking out for you. Because what can happen is, here's what can happen. We can be so embroiled in a relationship issue or a conflict issue or a work issue or a friendship issue. We can be so close and so engaged in that issue that we can't see the forest for the trees. And we're just, we just have this narrow perspective and all we can see is this. But when you're in community, then there's somebody in your life that you know and they know you and they've, they've kind of earned the right to speak truth into your life and to challenge you. And so because that's true, community, community is the best way. It's the best way 
for you and me to have intentional or intentionality and accountability in terms of our spiritual growth. Because you got people that, that love you. I mean, they, they genuinely love you and they challenge your thinking. Bob Russell was a former pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, wrote a book in the late 90s, probably that was the largest church in the nation at that time. But, but listen to what he says, talking about this first century church. He said the, the church exploded in growth because the people loved being together. He said when you get a group of people together who genuine, genuinely believe something and who really enjoy each other, it's such a contagious atmosphere that you can't keep people out. And, and God has called us to get in community together around a common theme, which is the gospel, and, and around a common commitment, which is to Jesus, and to love one another. Man, the greatest place, the greatest place for you and me to develop meaningful, life-changing, spiritual relationships with other people is in what we call community. And, and we have Sunday school groups. Sometimes we may call them, or we're going to call them campus groups. And we're, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be kicking off some new life groups, which are groups that, that meet in homes. Now, if, you know, I don't know that it matters if you're in a life group in a home or a, a Sunday school group here on campus, but you've got to get in a group. If, if you're going to have, if you're going to develop meaningful relationships with people that are, that are going where you're going or on the same journey you're on, then you need to be in a group. You and I, we need to be uh, committed to this idea of community. And so I just want to ask you this morning, how many of you, and don't answer this, but I just want you to wrestle with this question. Are you, have you committed yourself to being a part of a group? Are, have you made yourself vulnerable, if you will? Have you made yourself accountable to a group? And if not, I want to encourage you this morning uh, to think about joining a, a Sunday morning campus group or one of our, our new life groups. And let me give you, based on our tech, let me give you several reasons. We'll see how many we get to. But let me give you several reasons or advantages to being involved in community. In fact, uh, you might even call these anchors. Because we, if we're going to talk about drifting, and if you're going to keep from drifting, then then you can put down some anchors by being in a group that are going to help you stay on track. Now, you may weave a little bit, but if you'll put these anchors down, and I'll put these anchors down, we will stay on track. So let me give you four anchors. First of all, when you live in community, then you can learn to study and grow together. Notice there, it says in verse 42, the believers in Acts, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, we talked about this last week. And we ask the question, are we devoted to the Word of God? Are we really committed to the Word of God? And I, and I challenged you, and I questioned you, do you open the Word of God on a daily basis? Because we check our email every day. We check our text, you know, and we, we check the website, or we check the news, or we watch the news. We're engaged every day. The question is, are, 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 are we devoted to the Word of God enough that we're going to be in it on a regular basis. And even more so, are, are, are we, when we get in a group, then we can be devoted to the Word of God to where we have conversations of, about God's Word. See, we have conversations about the football game. Or we have conversations about this is going on, and that's, hey, that's good. I, I like to talk about that kind of stuff. Especially when my team wins. I mean, we enjoy that. But do we have conversations, where are we having conversations about the gospel? Where are we having conversations about applying the word of God 
to our life. And so, so we just need to be committed to it. Uh, former President Dwight D. Eisenhower said this. He said, to read the Bible is to take a trip to a fair land where the spirit is strengthened and faith is renewed. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have a presidential candidate that felt that way about the Bible? I mean, I mean, think about this. Where the spirit is strengthened and faith is renewed. I mean, I think it would be good to have a candidate who at least demonstrated some evidence that they read the Bible. That they just read it. But we can't expect that of our leaders who may or may not be believers. If we're not willing to get together as believers and get around the Word of God and say, okay, how does this, how does this work in my life? How does what Jesus said about this, how does what Jesus said about that, how does that apply to me? And, and that happens best when we get in groups and have conversations. Now, remember that idea devoted, they devoted themselves. If you remember last week, devoted means, we talked about it being, meaning being affectionately affectionately committed to something. And uh, you don't see this in the ESV, but if you have New American Standard, they translate this verse, they were continually devoting themselves to the Word of God or to the teaching of the apostles. And uh, the idea, the reason it, it, it's like that is because the grammar of that language is that the reason they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching is they didn't have it all together. They didn't know everything. Now, I'm not making this up, but I had a guy. This is at a former church, but I had a guy. And I just remember we were standing right out in front of my office, and he said, he said, well, Mike, I pretty much know everything. Maybe I need to start teaching. And I thought, really? But I, I'm, not, I'm, ser- I'm thinking, okay, well, yeah, maybe you should. Uh, I don't, I've never met anybody that knew everything. I remember Rick Warren speaking at, at a Southern Baptist Convention pastors conference probably 15 years, 15 or 20 years ago. And I remember him getting up and saying, he said, I was in a meeting this week and uh, he said, Dr. W.A. Criswell, he had already retired, but Dr. Criswell was in the meeting and he said, you know, the thing that astounded me the most is here I am a young preacher boy trying to figure things out and I'm talking about what we're doing. He said, Dr. Criswell over there, who's, you know, pastored at Dallas for 50 years or whatever, and he's over there with a legal pad just taking note after note after note. And he said the man was actually listening and learning from me. So listen, none of us have got, none of us got all figured out. I certainly don't. So we need, we need to gather around the Word of God because, and the best, the best place for that to happen is in a group where you can have conversations. We need to be able to discuss some things. Okay, so what does the Word of God say? So how do, how do we apply that? Uh, I, I mean, think about this. When we study the Bible together, it, it, it comes alive. And, and when the Bible comes alive, then it, it has the potential to transform our life. And that's what we really want to happen. In fact, turning your Bibles to, to Romans chapter 12. Look with me, Romans chapter 12. You, you're very familiar with this. Passage, but I want to—I just want to camp out here for a second. Romans twelve. Let's read one and two, and then we'll really talk about uh, verse two. But but Paul, but Paul, he's just eleven chapters of the deepest, eleven chapters of the most profound, uh, eleven chapters of the most difficult, some of the most difficult doctrine to wrap our minds around. And then he says, beginning in verse twelve, 
Therefore, or I appeal to you, brothers, or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So in light of all that, here's what you ought to do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, let me give you three thoughts out of that passage. I think this may have came uh, from Glenn McIntosh in, in his book, Finding Them, Keeping Them. But, but, but first of all, he's got a little outline that I'll give you. But, but the first thought is do not be conformed to the world. And the idea is that the Word of God shapes us moral. It shapes our moral values. He says, do, Paul says, do not be conformed to the world. Uh, one writer, it may be the J.B. Phillips translation, but, but, but one translation says, do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Do not, the idea of not being trans, uh, conformed is, is don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Here's what I know is true. The world has an agenda. You, you watch TV, you watch media, you read, you, know, you read all this marketing, you, you look at all this stuff. And the idea is to squeeze you into is to shape our moral values. And that's why so, and so, much, in TV, you know, so much TV has a, you know, there, there's, there's some issue of immorality almost without exception. And usually if there's some deviant behavior involved in it. You watch the sitcoms. And you watch these, these shows. You know, why? Because the world wants, they, they want to shape our standard. So, so how do we counteract the moral attack on the family and the moral attack on, on morality? Well, we, we get around the Word of God and we see what does the Word of God have to say about a specific issue. And you know the hot-button thing in our culture is, is, the, is the marriage issue. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the thing that's going to be the next little while is, is defining and describing and, and dealing with all that. Well, God's Word speaks to that. And if we're going to be well-equipped, we need to get around the table and open the Word of God and see what it says. So the Word of God shapes us morally. It, it helps us not to be conformed. But secondly, not only that, it, it shapes us men, mentally. Notice the second part of verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Look at this. By the renewal of your mind. Well, how, how do we renew our mind? By consistently feeding our mind a diet of the Word of God. See, if we don't, if we don't counteract the world's agenda with God's agenda, then mentally we're, we're, we're going to be conformed as opposed to being transformed. Now, the word transformed, Jesus, uh, that, that same word was, was used in Matthew 17, too. You don't need to go there. But in Matthew 17, too, it says that Jesus was transfigured. You, you, remember, you remember the story, James, John, and Peter, and Jesus went up on the mountain, and Jesus was transfigured. He, he, he changed in form, and they saw him in all of his glory. Remember what happened? They all fainted, and they fell out, and, you, you know, uh, you can read about that story. But here's what I want you to understand. The idea was that he was changed before them. And what Paul was saying is that if we're, if we're going to avoid being conformed to the world, then we need to be transformed in our mind. In other words, our mind needs to change from the world's agenda. And the way that happens 
is by a consistent, steady diet of the Word of God. Now, there's going to be, you know, everybody's going to challenge that. And people are going to say, well, you know. I mean, think about this. In Genesis 3, what did, what did Satan do? Hey, come on, Eve. Did God really say, did God really mean this? So you, what, what's going to happen? We're going to run into things in our culture. And we're, we're, even, we're going to run into pe- to preachers. You're going to run into preachers and teachers. You're going to go, well, you know, God really didn't say that. Well, yeah, God really did say that. It's written in the book. But we've got to be willing to sit around a table or sit around a living room and talk about here's what the Word of God says about any issue, and here's how that applies to our life. So, so we've, got to, we've got to grow together through the Word. It, it shapes us morally. It shapes us mentally. But, but also he talks about... Uh, it, it, it motivating us. Notice there at the end of uh, verse two in Romans uh, chapter twelve. Do not be trans, or, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, listen, look at this word. You may discern what is the the will of God. So if you want to know, if we want to know what the will of God is, we got to study the Word together. We just got to get around the Word of God together. And, and the danger is, here's the danger. If, if any of us just read this book and just say, oh, man, this is, this is, man, this is, this is what God's Word says. You know, we, we need people speaking into our life. We need people. You know, every Tuesday we sit down as a staff and we evaluate Sunday. And, and the, the sermon is on, it's fair game. Is that right? Was that right? Sometimes we do it beforehand. Why? Because we want to be true to the Word of God. Do you remember in Acts? Do you, anybody remember what it said about the Christians at Berea? Anybody remember them? Well, what did they do? They searched the Scriptures. Why? To see if what the apostles said was true. They were more noble, Paul said. Or Luke said they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Because they searched the scriptures. And so if we're going to know God's will, and if we're going to know what's true, we've got to search the scriptures. So how do we do that? We, we get in a circle. We get around a group of people, and we read the word, and we talk about the word of God. So when, when you're, when the, the advantage of being in community, man, you learn, to, you learn to study and grow together. And you need to be in community in order for that to happen. Secondly, uh, when you're in community, when we live in community, man, we learn how to support one another. Look at, go back to Acts chapter 2, and let's just notice some things. In, in verse 42, it says, um, man, they were do- devoted to the teach to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then in verse 44, uh, it talks about, uh, right there, it talks about how they were together. They had everything in common. In verse 45, they were selling their stuff and their belongings. They were distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. I mean, it, and it just got, kind of goes on and on and on. That they were there, they, they were supporting one another. Now, now how are they doing that? Well, first of all, uh, in order to support one another, they were sharing. They were sharing with one another. Now, uh, one commentator, I think it was Kent Hughes, who said, it, when that word's used in Scripture, that word sharing, uh, it, it, it's, or that word fellowship, it, it, koinonia, it's almost always, it's almost always associated with some type of giving. 
Now, in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, you can, we won't go there. You can read about that. It's really focused on financial giving. Even here in our text, there seems to be a sense, hey, they sold what they had and said, hey, I, you know, I'm going to sell all this. Hey, apostles, here's my money. Let's just give it to everybody as they had need. So there's this idea of sharing. But, but here's what I want to say even, even more than that because we do that. But, but, but what I would say also is in the context of a group, we learn to share with others, not just our possessions. We can share all kinds of things, but when you, when you really get in a group, you learn how to share your life with others. And it's so important that we learn how to share our life. And the reason is because people, what, what God's doing and what God has done in our life, is going to be beneficial for what God's doing in somebody else's life. And what God's doing in somebody else's life is going to have value to what God wants to do in your life. So we need to share with one another, but we also uh, need to be supporting one another. Uh, somebody, and I hadn't looked this up, but, but somebody I read a few years ago said that there are more than 50 verses in the book of Acts in the New Testament where believers are encouraged to support one another. I mean, it says that we're to pray for one another. It says we're to encourage one another. It says we're to exhort one another. It says we're to minister to one another. It says we're to teach one another. It says we're to bear the burdens of one another. I mean, we're to pray. I mean, it just, it, over and over and over, the Bible says the family of God is we're to take care of one another. Now, where does that happen best? Where, 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 where can you best pray for one another? Where can you best encourage one another? Where can we best teach one another? Where can we best carry one another's burdens? In a community, in a small group, around a circle, in a home with, with four or five couples or in the Sunday school class with six or eight or ten or twelve couples or, or eight or ten or twelve individuals. We, we can bear one another's burdens. We can fulfill the commitment that God asks us to make. Because, you know, a staff, we got a group of people our size, the size of our church. The, the staff can't carry everybody's burdens. We can't do all the praying for the body of Christ. That, that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, um, our greatest responsibility as pastors is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that, that's our primary responsibility, equip the saints. So we can serve one another, so we can care for one another. Well, a community group, a campus group, man, that, that, that's, the best, man, that's the best place to comfort one another. Look, look what the Bible says. Go to 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says uh, beginning in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, nothing happens to you and me that hasn't happened to someone else. And, you know, it's a lot easier to say to somebody, I understand what you're going through, if you really understand what they're going through. It's easier to do that. 
had the opportunity on a couple of occasions, we've had the opportunity to encourage couples who, who experienced a miscarriage. And we had a group in Georgia where someone went through that experience. Well, we'd been through that experience. It's, it's a lot easier to put your arm around someone and say, hey, I've been where you are, and God's going to see you through. But in order to do that, we gotta have we got to have the right to speak into somebody's life. Well, how do we get that right? We're in community together because we're sharing our lives together, because we're spending time together, because we're, we're, we're doing things together. And, and so the reason that you and I need to be in a group is because we're going to grow together when we're in a group, but we're going to support one another when we're in a group. Because we're going to know what's going on in the other person's life. They're going to know what's going on in our life. And we're going to have a relationship. And we're going to have some intimacy. And we're going to be able to share, hey, this is what's going on in our life. And so so if you're not in a group, if you just come and sit on a row every Sunday, who in the family of God is going to know what you're going through? Who's going to know? Who's, who's going to be there? When, 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 when a hiccup happens in your world, who's going to be there to put their arm around you if you've been sitting on a row by yourself every week, week after week after week? See, the, beauty, the, the reason God designed groups is so we can care for one another. The reason God designed groups is so we can comfort one another. The reason God designed groups, man, is, is so we can challenge one another. I mean, you start, listen, you start drifting away in your relationship with your marriage or, or, or in, in relationship to, to your Lord. If you don't have anybody in your circle, who's going to challenge you? I mean, who's going to look at you and say, man, have you, have you noticed how you talk to your wife? Have you noticed how you treat your kids or your grandkids? Have you noticed how you seem to talk about your husband negatively when he's not around? I mean, who's going who's to speak that into your life if you don't have an intimate circle of people that are, that are going the same place you're going, serving the same Lord you're serving? Now, you might be saying, well, I don't really want anybody speaking into my life about that stuff. Well, there's part of your problem. Because God's called us to honor Him. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Why? Because he wants us to be obedient. Well, sometimes we need help being obedient. We need pe- Listen, we, got blind, we have blind spots. And we need people in our life that have the right and the opportunity to speak in our life. So we, so we learn to support one another. We learn to study and grow together. Number three, uh, in a group, it, when we live in community, we can learn to submit to God. There, if you notice, look in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. It says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but there's just been some times when I've been in a group, it may just have been a small group of two or three, or it may have been a little bit bigger group, but there's just been some times when I've been around some guys or some, some ladies, and they just... They just love Jesus and worship Jesus in a way that it inspired me. In fact, I, I've been in some situations where I've been around some people. I've been in a group where, where I was convicted because it just seemed like they love Jesus more and they honor Jesus more than I do. 
And see, when we get in a group around people that are going where we're wanting to go and following who we want to follow, we're going to learn to submit to him. We're going to learn to reverence him. We're, we're going to learn to revere him. In fact, I got this in my notes. Let me just, it says, if the people of God would have the power of God, then we've got to have reverence for God. If you want to have, as a person of God, if you want to have the power of God, you, you've got to have reverence for God. And one of the ways, that, listen, that can be created in a group environment where you've got people that love Jesus. Now, if you get in a group and all you do is sit around and grumble and talk and complain and gossip, that, that's not going to help you. But if you get in a group of people that are loving Jesus, we're, we're going we're gonna to spur one another on. Isn't that what, remember Hebrews 10, 24, and 25? Let us not forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. But, but let us encourage one another. Let us spur one another on. And, and all the more as we see the day approaching. So, so we get in the group. We, we learn. We learn how to submit to God. And then number four, real quickly. When we live in community, we learn to serve God. One another. Man, a great place to learn to serve is to be a part of a group and to minister to the needs of other people in a group. Sometimes that takes time. Sometimes it takes sacrifice. Uh, sometimes it takes commitment. Uh, but, you know, we're called to serve one another. Do you remember what Jesus said? And this isn't coming up on the screen, so... I'll just tell you, Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so one of the great places to learn how to serve is to get in community with some other believers. You might serve one another. You might go and serve together some project or some group or some people. But it's an opportunity to learn to serve. And, you know, if we're going to be like Jesus, I mean, if anybody should have been served, it certainly it ought to be the king of kings. If anybody deserved for somebody to wait on him all the time, but he said, no, no, the Son of Man didn't come for that. The Son of Man came to serve others and to give himself up as a ransom for many. And so who are we serving? Who are we serving? And, and that's a fair question. Well, let me just say this, and we, we, I, I got a little bit of a homework assignment. Uh, quote a good Methodist friend. John Wesley said this. This is awesome. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. Man, what a good, that's what we ought to do as believers. We ought, to be doing all, we ought to be serving, doing all the good we can. It, it, you know, great a great way to do that is to be in a group. And so I, I want to challenge you. Here's kind of my challenge for you and me uh, this morning uh, is to be in a group. Because here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me. If we aren't intentional, and if we aren't accountable, we will drift along on our spiritual journey. The New Testament, the New Testament knows nothing of Lone Ranger Christianity. It's just, it's not in there. You know, I've had people say to me, you know, pastor, 
you know, this happened to me, and you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And you know what? That's true. But if you're a Christian, you're really going to want to be a part of his church. How in the world, how in the world could you love the Lord and not want to be with his bride? Something ain't right about that. Pardon my grammar. Right? But there's just something not right there. So, so listen, if, if we're going to be intentional and if we're going to be accountable, uh, that's the only way we're not going to drift. And so I believe the first step for that is for you and me to be in a group and to be accountable. So my challenge, kind of the invitation, if you will, today is, is for you to be in a group. Now, you can be in a Sunday school class or a Sunday morning group. We've got a plethora of groups that are going to meet uh, the second hour. I've got a list right here. When, when we're done and you exit, there's a couple little tables sitting up out here at our new Welcome Center area across from the coffee bar and near around the cookies. Uh, there's a list, just some, some places that you can go to Sunday school uh, during uh, the, the 11 a.m. worship hour. And if you're not in a group, I, I'm just telling you, I'm, I just, I love you, but I'm telling you, if you're not in a group, you need to get in a group. Because you just need to be around somebody that can speak into your life, that can encourage you, that can challenge you, that you can encourage and you can challenge. Now, if Sunday, you say, well, you know, I, I just got one hour on Sunday morning and we really, you know, that, that Sunday morning really doesn't work for me. We are, uh, we're fixing to kick off uh, five uh, new home groups, uh, we call them life groups. Uh, Jonathan and Sandra Bickham are going to lead one. Ryan and Michelle Wilkes are going to be leading one. Ben and Molly Gunn are going to be leading one. Uh, Blake and Brooke Hicks are going to be leading one. Are Blake and Brooke here this morning? They're not here. Uh, they're usually in this service. Uh, Dan and Leslie Stevens are going to be leading one. And we might have potentially two more. But, but if, if a Sunday morning group doesn't fit for you, then we want to challenge you to get into a life group. Why? Because we all need community. What the early church did from the beginning is they said, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to spend time together because when we're together, we help each other. When we're together, we grow. When we're together, we can become what God has called us to be. And I want you to experience that, and I want you to have that. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, the invitation this morning is for you to be in a, if you're not in a group, to be in a group. If you, if you say, hey, man, I'm already in a group, then you get a cookie, all right? You just, yeah, you, you're, you're free. You don't, you don't have to stop at the table. You just go get a cookie. You go to, go to the coffee uh, area. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm challenging you. Uh, to be in a group. Now, if you got questions about the gospel, you may be here and say, you know, uh, hey, Mike, you've been talking to the church, and, you know, I'm really not part of the church and don't really know about that. I'll be hanging out here. would love to have a conversation with you. If we can help you get in a group, if you need some help, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, I got this somewhere. Um, there is an information card, and I have one, but I can't find it. But there's a little white card somewhere in the back of the pew that says information. If you're not in a group and need some advice, which one should I try? Just write your name, give us your number, and say, looking for a group. 
and you can give it to one of our ushers on your way out. You can give it to me. I'll be here, be wandering around. Because, listen, we want to help you get in the group. We want to help you do that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to be, you're free to go. Father, uh, we love you today. We thank you that you've made a provision for us to grow. You've made a provision for us to, to support one another. You've made provision for us. Uh, Father, to, to serve and to, to submit to you and to grow in our, our relationship and our reverence. And, and God, one of the great ways you do that is, is through the context of groups, community, not rows, not just rows, but circles, face-to-face, hand-in-hand, talking about how the gospel affects our life. So God, I pray that you'd, you'd send us out uh, to be together. Uh, encourage us. Lord, I pray for those that, uh, that need help getting connected because, uh, God, we want that to happen so we can honor you and have an impact on the Wimberley Valley. So go with us today. Uh, bless us, Father, is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.